are back. It is uh, right around the end of March. It's going to be early April by the time mm. this thing airs. So uh, spring is here, everybody, and none too soon. Uh, I think we're getting a little tired of the rain. Wouldn't yeah, yeah, something like spring anyway. A lot of rain. Hey, look, my backyard is ridiculously green. I know. Uh, I have to admit that, and I, you know, I kind of, you know, my backyard has been like a little uh, desert, you know, uh, thing that's ridiculously green and it's wonderful. But no, I get it. It's the rain. This much rain can eventually be problematic. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And it's 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 time we start drying out. I'm ready. I'm yeah, ready. Yeah. Uh, we only have one obit this week, and then we got a little news that we'll talk about, which I think anybody who's on, on Facebook is probably already uh, keen to, and I'm finally happy to be able to talk about it. Um, yes. But uh, Lance Reddick, man, uh, at age 60, was it? He was 60? Yeah, Lance and- was born in 62. It's crazy that Lance is actually younger than me. I knew Lance for 20, 20, 20 odd years. You know, uh, me, Sherm, do, do know our, our buddy. Do, do um we- uh, it, it's it's really an odd thing because they kept saying of of, of natural uh, causes, you know. So the natural cause seems to have been a heart attack, and I suppose that that's a natural cause. But he was sixty, yeah, sixty, you know, about to be sixty-one. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry, I can't agree that at age sixty-one, on account of I'm sixty-one, that, that a heart attack <laughs> is a natural goddamn cause. I'm gonna say no to that. Uh, and and but that's that's what it is anyway. Go go way back with Lance, all the way back to Oz, and uh, um, before that, but definitely Oz um, when he was walking around that show. And of course, Lance walked around everything from Fringe to The Wire, and uh, it was really funny. Uh, way 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 back in the early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands, uh, when he was when he was when he was on Oz, you know, I would see him all the time. Actually, it was he and my wife were friends because she mm-hmm. would enjoy. She actually she was actually <laughs> Bridget was actually in a British Petroleum commercial with Lance. Lance played oh, her wow. husband in a British oh, no Petroleum sure. commercial. This is like a hundred years ago, right? Uh, and uh, so so th- those connections and Sherm on Oz and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Lance Lance was a Yaley. Lance went to Yale. I know, uh, and and uh, it was always we always thought it was kind of funny that he that for a good chunk of his early career, Lance played these kind of guys, these kind of guys in prison and guys, you know, and, and stuff like that, you know. And I'm like, it's you know the Yaley, but, but eventually he started he started playing guys in suits and and uh, chiefs of police and detectives and the guy in Fringe and authoritative figures and guys who were much more reflective of who Lance was, including that guy in the John Wick movies. Yeah. And are we deep enough into the into into the John Wick release now to talk about the irony? I. What do you think? You Maybe know, not. Yeah, if let, let's let's just it's made one hundred and fifty million dollars globally, so I think we can. Otherwise, we will say to people, "There's a spoiler here, so you might if you don't want the spoiler, uh, fast forward about uh, a minute and a half." Yeah, about a minute and a half. Hey, look, man, I got to tell you, I go to see this john wick movie which the movies of which i deeply appreciate really love that first movie and you know and 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 have an appreciation for the for for the rest of the canon uh and the nearly the first thing that happens in that movie is that lance's character sharon is killed yep and i'm like are you freaking kidding me here right now you know and then of course across the arc of the movie it's a big deal that his character was killed everybody's yeah. talking about it we go to his funeral in the movie uh, all the characters john wick are always talking about what a great guy he was in the movie yeah so ah uh, creepy meta yeah creepy meta yeah 
Yeah, I mean, uh, and he was getting ready to do press for the movie too. Um, yeah. yeah, missing, missing, and, and that makes it that that's a thing that just doesn't happen that often that someone passes just on the eve of the movie opening, and uh, the press becomes as much about them. And and there's a lovely little uh, you know title card at the end uh, in memoriam to him. So oh, that's so so sad. Really, sad. I, I you know he's he's just he's kind of the heart and soul of those movies. To be honest, yeah, I really. To be honest with you, I think about him in those movies first. Yeah, and then yeah, Daniel Keanu and 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 uh, Ian Shane and all you know, all this kind of stuff. But that guy standing there with that you know with that look. He, it's, it's just, he's, you know, he's the concierge and, and that's a symbolic thing. I always, I almost think of him as, um, guarding the gates to either heaven, hell, or purgatory. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, he's this very stabilizing figure in those movies, almost like the conscience of the films, you know? Mm. And, uh, he's the one guy you could always count on. And, um, because, because you know, uh, the, Ian tried to like, lit- did shoot him in the last one. So <laughs> yeah. He, he, he has no loyalty. You know, Lance is the only guy who really had that moral center in those movies. It's, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Anyway, I did. I think obviously they could not have known any of that X no. number of years ago when they were, uh, you know, writing that trip and shooting the film and, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But it is an odd sort of thing that these that happens every occasionally. So there it is. Well, I, I, I'm going to get us started. We've got a lot of stuff. We've had some things that have kind of piled up, and it's, it's, it's holiday season. But first, I do want to uh, talk about the news which we broke on, uh, on the Facebook pages for Cinegods and Digigods, which is, and if you go there and visit it, there's the IndieWire piece. Uh, so it's out in the open now that um, my, and Tim has been, you know, privy to this whole thing for for the, very, for the very, very long time that it's been emerging. But um, my wife and I have acquired the film and stage rights to Busby Berkeley's unpublished memoirs mm. and uh, memoirs that uh, were long thought to have not to have sort of been in a, in a state of uh, limbo and nobody knew if anyone had the rights and no one seemed to care. So in fact, it is a, it is a story that will completely come to light, uh, one day, not really the time now, but, um, we've been making a lot of progress at putting it together and it has been an adventure and it will continue to be an adventure. But, uh, the goal is to finally, and, and, you know, the, the attempt to make a biography of Busby Berkeley's life goes all the way back to the Mm. 1950s. Mm. They tried when he was still alive to do one in the fifties, which wouldn't have made any sense. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it sort of missed. I think at that time it missed the most important chapter of his life, or at least the concluding chapter. But um, you know, they they tried in the seventies, and uh, they've tried a number of times since. Ryan Gosling was attached to one a few years ago, but it's all it's all a big, long, dramatic continuum, and the do- the drama is not over. But stay mm. tuned; many much more news to announce on that front. But we're going to get it done. We're gonna must, be, must, must be, must yeah, be. Everyone, you just look them up uh, if, if you haven't. Yeah, we've reviewed a ton of Busby Berkeley movies on this, yeah. on this, uh, you know, and, and Blu-ray releases from uh, the Warner Archive collection. And it's, it's been. Uh, I, I have to say, it's been weird, and you know, it's been weird because mm-hmm. we've had these conversations where it'll be, you know, Forty Second Street or Gold Diggers of Thirty Five, and where it's like we're talking about this on the show, and you and I before the show, I'm like, well, that's weird, you know. <laughs> uh, here, I got to pretend like nothing's going on. So it's all in the open now. Uh, everything is signed, sealed, and delivered, and now it's just a matter of uh, getting the movie made, and uh, that is no small feat. So no, no false are, because it has to be an extraordinary film. 
from populated with movie stars because the, because the, the the life of Busby Berkeley was populated with movie stars. It is it is as I have been saying from the very beginning. If the movie about his life is not at least as spectacular as the movies that he made during his life, mm. there's no point in making it. Indeed, there's Indeed. no point. Indeed, right on point. All right. But in the meantime, let's talk about somebody else's crappy movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so first, I, I just want to roll through some Mill Creek titles. We've had a few Mill Creek titles here that have kind of accumulated. And I want to, I, I, you know, there's some there's some worthwhile stuff in here and some of the uh, the Mill Creek and the MVD stuff that capitalizes on the uh, the uh, the rewind thing, the old VHS retro yeah. look. They both have that line. And there's a few of those that, that we've got here. So I kind of want to want to push some of those out also the vestron series they are there's all these that are they're kind of from different distributors but they do play a part they do kind of brand themselves uh, with the old vhs thing so i I gotta tell you we got about we got in my estimation we got about five more years of the be kind we want rewind making making sense to anybody under 60 (laughs) very true (laughs) about five Uh, more years and your other that's that's not gonna make it such a rewind what's a rewind yeah (laughs) what what is that what is rewinding exactly (laughs) that's gonna be funny yeah ah well anyway so uh we got a movie here called london this is all from mill creek right now this is london by way of uh, samuel goldwyn um this is started you know when it came out it starred uh chris evans and jessica beale and jason statham and uh you know uh, uh, isla fisher and dane cook had a lot of people in it didn't do a huge bunch of, at the box office, actually, but as it's a nice non-Marvel Chris Evans performance. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. Jessica Biel is lovely in it as well. Uh, I mean, it's a you know, it's a it's a good solid kind of romantic drama. Yeah. Um, Jason Statham, you know, is is terrifying as a as a drug dealer, and um, it's got a it's got a '90s vibe to it, like a lot of those sort of gritty uh kind of crime films i don't want to say that it's 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 not quite like a true romance but it kind of is in a way right it's a little bit in in that in that sort of vein um yeah yeah look, look uh, hunter hunter richards writer writer director guy did not know his work he did a lot of you know script doctor yeah. kind of guy <laughs> excuse me wandering around doing all kinds of stuff for a long time a couple of shorts and whatnot but but he, but, but he pulled this thing off the marketing was bad this is we're going back to 2005 it's what we're talking about folks uh the marketing was not great at this time i remember this movie from 2005 yeah. and i thought and i thought it was a pretty decent film uh, and with with a pretty decent cast that, that should have done better. I'll tell you what you'll like about this film, folks. 2005, Jason Statham still had hair. Kind of weird, right? Yeah, he has a whole yeah. head of hair. It's right there on his head. <laughs> and, and he looks great. Anyway, I, I thought it was a pr- pretty cool movie for back in the day. Joy Bryant, like you said, a few people walking around this movie. Uh, Paula Patton walking around this movie. Dane Cook walking around this movie. Louis C.K. walking around this movie. You know, a lot of people walking around this movie. This was not some it, little funky-ass film. This no, was a movie. It, it was, it, it for sure. Absolutely for sure. It's, uh, it's kind of weird when you go back to some of those movies and people people just suddenly you know who've gotten really big like it, you would never be able to afford that cast today no no everybody would cost you um, cat dennings walking around this movie a good chunk of people walking around this movie today lead movies yep 
All right, so here we go with the uh, the Be Kind Rewind stuff. Uh, the this is the, the the Mill Creek stuff first, then we'll get to the MVD stuff. But they're all you know going for the, the little retro VHS stickers and whatnot. Richard, one of Richard Attenborough's last films, Shadowlands, which a mm. lot of people love, and I am one of them. Uh, this is all on Blu-ray. Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger, true yeah. story of the the great uh, author and theologian and thinker C.S. Lewis and his romance with uh, the American Joy Gresham, mm. and it's a uh, you know. It, it, it's really an, an it's an amazing movie. I mean, Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger just kill it. It's so sweet, beautifully, beautifully, beautifully written by William Nicholson, mm-hmm. um, based on his stage play, which I, I have never seen live. But it's just it's really sensitive, and I love William Nicholson. So, oh yeah, Les Mis and Gladiator, and this is just it's it's a beautiful movie, and it just makes me weep every single time. So you know, Shadowlands, not really like a VHS throwback, but that's how they branded it. Well, that's ninety. It's ninety three. Yeah, that's, that's ninety two, three, yeah, something like is. that. So yeah, no, it, 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 it reaches back. It re- and that was that moment because there was this, there was this moment where uh, when uh, uh, Deborah Winger had retired. Yes, that's right. She, she had this moment where she had retired, very young, very young, yep. but she was done. But she came back to make this movie. This was the movie that brought her back from that short retirement of hers. And then we have a Tony Scott film, and there's uh, this beautiful tribute to Tony Scott at the end, of course, of uh, of Maverick. Mm. And uh, this is a Tony Scott film most people have forgotten about. The Fan, yeah. Robert De Niro stalking Wesley Snipes. Um, I did a junket for this movie back in 96. Here's, here's the one thing that just shows that this was directed by an Englishman is that the big finale, the big crazy finale, the big uh, Fatal Attraction finale, right? Because it's basically Fatal Attraction. Yeah, well, it at, is. A ba- at a baseball <laughs> game. <laughs> uh, is, is it a baseball game in the pouring rain? Mm. Somebody needed to pull Tony aside and go, they, they, they call a game. They call games in the rain, Tony, <laughs> particularly when it's pouring down like it is in this fucking game. <laughs> but, he, but, you know, he wanted to back like the rain, right? It was all mood. It was all Tony Scott. That's mood. what Tony does. That's uh, what Tony I does. Yeah. just thought that was hilarious. But you got uh, yourself, again, you got yourself a youngish be, uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. Walking around this movie. Uh, you got yourself a, 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 a youngish Michael Jace walking around this movie. Yeah. Uh, you got a whole bunch of Tony Jackson walking around this movie. You know, this, this, this is what, 90 something again? I can't remember. Yeah. 96. Yeah. I remember doing the junkets of this. I still have the little piece of, they gave us a lot of swag for this movie. But the, one of the things they gave us was an actual watch with a San Francisco Giants emblem on it. Yeah. I still got that watch. It's over there. The battery ran out 25 years ago. I, oh, I never, man. I never bothered to replace it because I'm from St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, where the Cardinals are the only baseball team. Uh, but yeah, there it is. De Niro, Snipes, Ellen Barkin. Mm, not crazy. Yeah. And then we've got uh, Fear talking about young Mark Wahlberg and young Reese Witherspoon and uh, young Alyssa Milano in what's basically still another one of those kind of, uh, I don't want to call it an erotic thriller. It's like a, yeah. a, a not quite erotic thriller, but it, it's still in that pocket, right? Yeah. It was, uh, this yeah. is 96. Yeah, also it 96. Doing, it's all that, that Joe Esther Hasse kind of adjacent stuff from, from that moment. Um, you know, it's perfectly fine. It's not really what Mark Wahlberg does. It's not what he was even doing then. 
but uh amy brenneman shows up in this too yeah uh yeah, yeah it's it's uh you know it's it's perfectly fine it's an imagined thing you know brian grazer and uh, ron howard mm. um and uh directed by james foley who we were just talking about an email the other yeah day. not long ago yeah chris crow walking uh chris crow uh christopher yeah. crow uh, uh stripped i think yes if i'm not uh, mistaken and, and, yeah. and you know james foley uh, who i have all kinds of stories about because his first film was reckless with uh mm-hmm. quinn and uh and uh 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 daryl hannah and and uh you know that opened when i was an usher at the theater and he was hanging out like every weekend for several weekends just wringing his hands nervous do the audience does the audience like it do they not like it and here i am i'm an usher and he's you know the the 10 years older than i am and he's sitting there like i'm I'm having to talk him off the cliff (laughs) it was it's like no they they like it dude they like it they really like it that was a funny thing i mean jane popcorn we were talking, you, you, me, Ray, and, and maybe Mark. I think Mark were chit-chatting about at close range yeah. uh, a couple of days ago. Which Ray just rewatched and, and thinks to That's why. That's yeah. why. That's yeah. why. That's what it was. Of course, Ling Derry and, and, and After Dark, My Sweet. That's my, that's my, that's my James Foley movie. After yeah. Dark, My Sweet. Uh, so, but yeah, there it is, you know, and all that Fifty Shades, most, most recently, all that Fifty Shades. And then we've got uh, Antoine Fuqua directing mm-hmm. Mira Sorvino and Chow Yun Fat in The Replacement Killers, which, uh, I, you know what? I mean, it's uh, I I was probably not kind enough to this film at the time because coming back and looking at it, I'm like, you know what? That movie's all right. For the, for, for the moment. Yeah, uh, the it, moment. It, it lives in the moment. Everybody everybody is doing the thing that's, that was happening in the moment. This is 96, 7, 8, yeah. maybe 8, something yeah. like that. And, you know, you got, you, got, you, got, you got Michael Rooker and Mira, and Mira's still slightly young and sexy and coming off that Oscar win. Uh, and, uh, and, and again, this is one of those, those movies. You got these cats walking around this movie. You got Danny Trejo walking yeah. around this movie. You got Cliff Collins Jr. walking around this movie. You know, right. we, we weren't thinking about these people at the time, but they're all, they're all right there, you know, being movie stars, pre, and, pre, pre movie stars. And then we have the very, very unfortunate movie Problem Child, uh, directed mm-hmm. by Dennis Dugan, who would, of course, direct many, many horrible, horrible Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> uh, Problem Child does not have Adam Sandler, and it's too bad because he probably would have made it bearable. I mean, this is just uh, Michael Oliver is so annoying in this movie. <laughs> he's, so, he's so irritating. John Ritter <laughs> almost makes it bearable. Jack Warden almost makes it bearable. But yeah. man, it's just otherwise it's this. It, it, the kid is a problem child. He really is. Yeah, and, he's, and not, he's, and he's actually too irritating to be endearing <laughs> in the film. Too irritating to be endearing. But again, Mike Richards, Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you know, you got these good, and, and, and you know, these even, even Dennis Dugan's in the movie. He walks around, but uh, you know, so there, you know, it's one of those. It's one I of those, heard Dennis no. Dugan when he was an actor in Richie Brockelman PI with a really, really <laughs> good Mike Post theme song. <laughs> what does Dennis go on? Is Dennis the kid, the the part, the young guy, and Herbie the love bug? Is that Dennis? Oh, gee whiz! Not is that it, Dennis? Like he, the, he, he was a Disney guy. He's a Disney guy for sure oh my gosh you, you may be right i'd have to go back and check yeah uh and then the uh the last of the mill creek uh, vhs tiles here is the paper which is you know mm. honestly the uh the, i mean ron howard directed this thing and i it's a it's a good kind of broadcast newsy look at the world of journalism great cast dude as long as we're talking about people in a movie seriously Michael Keaton, Glenn yep. Close, Marissa yep. Tomei, Randy Quaid, and Robert Duvall. And Robert Duvall, I heavy, mean, heavy. Gee whiz, you couldn't get that cast today. 
Well, you know, and then and then and then all the other ones that we wouldn't think about because Clint's in the movie. You know, Clint's going to be in the I movie know. because Ron's directing. But you got Jill Hennessy. You got a ridiculously young Jill Hennessy. You got Jeffrey Owens uh, in this movie. Catherine O'Hara is walking around in this movie. Yeah. You know, a Spalding Gray is walking around in this movie. The movie was uh, it harkened back to those old newspaper movies of it the thirties. It did. You know, with Clark Gable front page and all that kind of stuff. That's that's what it, that's what it intended to do, and I liked it a lot. The Copes. Uh, writing David. And, I like and that Steven. movie. The, the yeah. two caps, the David Cap. The caps. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and so you know, um, I, I, you can't make these kind of movies. You can't make those kind of movies today. No. Yeah. Uh, now we get into the MVD Rewind Collection, which puts the little fake stickers on there. Don't be fined. Please rewind. <laughs> uh, the next one, the Miami Blues. Uh, Alec Baldwin, when he was trying to be just a straight up good looking honky movie star and uh, did a pretty good job of it for a minute. Jennifer well, Jason Lee and Fred Ward in here as well. Uh, George Armitage, who's attached to actually direct a script that a friend of mine wrote, hmm. uh, does a great job. I think Miami Blues, totally underrated movie. I think this is really, really sharp. I think Alec Baldwin is great, even though he outgrew this kind of part very, very quickly. But uh, this was an Orion film. It's got a good bunch of, you know, kind of middling extras on it, interviews and, and, and you know, uh, trailer and whatnot. But, uh, you know, as, a, as just kind of a good, solid 90s era cop film, I really I really liked it. Oh, yeah. No, no. It was, uh, it, it was a little light and lovely. Alec was coming off his run. Uh, on Knott's Landing, late eighties. That's what yeah. that's the, he was on Knott's Landing. TV show was a spinoff from Dallas. Yeah. Uh, and and d- during its late run, Alec had come on to that show, and he had and he really just exploded on that show. He had that little moment on TV, and then he got out of there real quick and fast. Yeah. And started making movies, and this was one of his of his early ones, and uh, it really blew him up. And then we also got the Desperate Hours. Michael Cimino working with Mickey Rourke and Anthony Hopkins again. Uh, Kelly Lynch and Mimi Rogers. I don't know what happened to Kelly Lynch. I had a great interview with her years ago. She mm. was just so smart. And I don't know where she is now. I guess she's just checked out. But, uh, you know, Michael Cimino got into, you know, he's always been in the crime vein ever since he wrote uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot uh, for, uh, for uh, Eastwood. And, um, you know, a little weird to me looking back on this. It was produced by Dino De Laurentiis. I think Mm. I'd forgotten that completely. Mm. But, uh, you know, what? I mean, pretty, pretty solid, Uh, pretty solid. Mickey Rourke, uh, you know, when he was doing when he was right in the pocket in that moment. Uh, Remake of the um, remake of the uh, the original original Desperate Hours. The original Desperate Hours, right. Yeah. Remake. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember that, which was kind of a tough Humphrey Bogart. Right. The yes, yes, you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, kind of a tough, kind of a tough, kind of a tough remake uh, with with Anthony Hopkins and and Mickey Rourke. And you know what's really weird? Like we look at this and we're like, yeah, it's total Michael Cimino film. You know, totally. You know, it's like it's noiry and Mickey Rourke's tough, and you know the the women are tough, and it's uh, it's good solid old fashioned noir updated for you know the nineties. But what what's weird is that roughly like a little bit before this. Michael Cimino was actually once attached to direct Footloose. Oh, that the the what would have been would have been the Kevin Bacon blah 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 yeah. Footloose. Yeah, really? can you imagine? No, that's not that's not working at all <laughs> in my head. That's so not working weird. at all. Hey, so weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got Nicolas Cage in Vampire's Kiss, which is weird because yeah. he's in he's in Renfield now. It's like the sequel to Vampire's Kiss. Um, freaking weird how he keeps coming back to the all that stuff but yeah. uh yep yeah, this has the uh, be kind with a little picture of a bee 
remember to rewind uh jennifer beals and elizabeth ashley in this uh by the way speaking of jennifer beals the 4k of flash dance just arrived i haven't had a chance to look at it yet but it's flash dance it's 4k who cares Mm. give me a break it's flash dance (laughs) uh yeah nicholas cage and vampires kiss uh maria conchita alonzo what's happened to her still hanging around um this was a this was a cult hit at that moment absolutely was yep in, 1988, yeah. I think, 88, 89, cult hit. I uh, consider any movie from 88 and 89 to basically be sort of adopted into the 90s. Just want to be clear on that. <laughs> Good. Uh, disturbing Behavior uh, with James Marsden, Katie Holmes, and Nick Stahl, all of them looking incredibly young and uh, and dashing. Um, directed by David Nutter, who you know has kind of gone on to do not a whole lot. Uh, you know, this one, this kind of pre, this was one of the earliest of those, uh, post Brat Pack, mm-hmm. but pre, um, all, all the horror films that were, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, before the, uh, before the, um, all of the, uh, screens and yeah, so this kind of, this, it's, I, I guess it's, it's relevant in that sense um but you know i mean it's stylish nutter was a you know he was an x-files guy yeah so you know it's got a got a certain style but uh you know as i i don't know it just kind of it's it feels cold i'd never really respond when when they get when they go for like too many young pretty people it's a Mm -hmm. little bit hard to kind of buy a lot of the they're all just looking they're too young and pretty it's like what high school is this yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? Everybody, everybody looks like this. Know. <laughs> you know, that was not my high school. My uh, my high school had me in it. Yeah. <laughs> so so we can't cast this. Uh, you know, talk about Dennis Dugan as a as an actor turned director that we're we're not overly fond of. Let's talk about one that I'm super fond of, Keith Gordon. Mm. Remember Keith Gordon? Of course, I love Keith. Waking the Dead was one is one of my favorite oh, movies from that so period. Good. Keith, I mean, we, we, Keith was an actor too, of course. Well, yeah, you know, uh, with Rodney Dangerfield and Back to School, and of course in Christine. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, John Carpenter's Christine. I mean, very good actor, but be, be really became and hasn't directed much lately. But is such a such a talented director. Well, he wrote and directed the chocolate war mm-hmm. and that's an interesting one to be out on a on a rewind collection i would really recommend this to people uh john glover uh wally ward jenny wright and and even bud court pops in there with a special appearance credit um but the, you know the chocolate war uh, is is based on a novel and a very very controversial novel and i think this is an incredibly um smart adaptation of it it's all it's one of those um prep school genre movies you know uh, if everything goes wrong in the prep school in this case it's mm. a uh, it's a catholic boys school but it's uh, it, it pushes a lot of the same buttons as as some of the previous movies on this subject matter but it does so beautifully it's yeah. uh, it's you know it's not dead poet society but it's kind of adjacent to that in some respects and really great performances uh i think it's just a an absolutely terrific movie oh yeah uh, chocolate war beautifully made by keith gordon really yeah well worth finding Keith, you can you, you Keith like all smart directors uh, moved his ass to television quite some time ago. So Keith knocked out a whole bunch of Homeland and a whole bunch of Legion and a whole bunch yeah. of Fargos and a couple of two couple of two Better Call Sauls and some leftovers. Yeah. That's where Keith has been. So you know, at it, but doing it doing it in the, the medium where it happens. You know, Joe Don Baker in Final Justice. Uh, you know, I pretty much like every actor that ever played uh, Buford Pusser. <laughs> uh, okay with that. 
And uh, <coughs> so uh, Joe Don Baker basically does kind of the same thing here in this uh, kind of semi low budgety 1980s movie. Um, he here he plays a guy with the ridiculous name of Thomas Jefferson Geronimo the third. Now, I don't know what kind of controlled substance the writer was on when he thought that <laughs> name up. Thomas Jefferson Geronimo the third. That's quite a quite a mouthful. Um, but uh, it's basically Buford Posser. It's basically kind of a an unofficial. Um, it's an unofficial walking tall movie. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's he's just a small town uh, lawman. And anyway. It's, it's the same. It's the same movie that Graydon Clark always made. Yeah, <laughs> he made the same, although he did direct Black Shampoo, which is like this sort of black exploitation yeah. film from the middle, <laughs> from the middle that I that I love. But yeah, yeah Graydon Clark, Graydon pretty much made the same movie all the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, this is definitely one that is gets be kind rewind. This is definitely a VHS movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> about it and so frankly is dirty laundry uh this this came in and i thought dirty laundry dirty laundry what's you know i don't even remember that one um and what's funny about all of these is what i like about it like the 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 way that they do the rewind thing for the um for the mill creek stuff is it looks like there's a tape kind of sliding out of the case it's a little mm-hmm. the way they do it on the on the mvd stuff is they make it look as though uh, it's been really abused. It's been returned and taken and just shattered. Things are torn apart and you can see the VHS sticking out a little bit. I kind of like that a little better. <laughs> uh, Dirty Laundry. I, I, I was like, where, when, when did this movie come out? Honestly, I had, I, I still can't remember that this movie ever came out. We talking about the 1987 one, or are we talking yes. about the 1996? No, the I mean, there are a bunch of them, but from yeah. that era, yeah. No, this is the one with with uh, Frankie Valli, Sonny Bono, yeah, uh, Lee McCloskey. Remember him? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this is uh, Greg Louganis. Even you know pops in here and can't act his way out of a paper bag. It's, it, <laughs> That's it's unfortunate. So unfortunate. Very very unfortunate. No, this is one of those. Uh, it's a it's a bag of money movies. Yeah, you know the 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 Danny Boyle made a bunch of those, and the Coen Brothers have kind of you know for <laughs> that. But it's a bag of money movies, uh, and uh, you know somebody all kind of starts in the laundromat, and uh, there's a there's a drug deal, and somebody <laughs> walks out with you know bag full of money instead of a bag full of laundry, and all hell breaks loose, and there you go. Um, so I mean, it's a contrived it's scenario, so but it, it's got its moments. I mean, it's a little wacky, uh, but hey, I, I always enjoy watching Sonny Bono because you know, <laughs> yeah, Sonny Bono. I mean, the beauty of Sonny Bono. Especially that episode of the Love Boat where he falls in love with the deaf girl, which oh, yeah. I can't, I can't stop laughing about that. And I know I shouldn't. I know that sounds horrible and politically incorrect, but it's just here's the thing: Sonny genuinely, truly, honestly doesn't have an ounce of any kind of talent in his body. <laughs> no, not not one. He no. can't sing. He no. can't act. Yet he, yet he succeeded at them all. <laughs> and he succeeded at them all. And you kind of want to tip your hat and go, dude, you are so my idol. I don't know how you pulled it off, but I know I pulled it off. You standing next to share. <laughs> <laughs> when you're standing next to share, people tend to believe whatever the fuck you're saying. There you go. Uh, so, you know, you, 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 what do you say, Sonny? Sounds great. Yeah. Who, who's that again? Anyway, that's Sonny. Yeah. I like Sunny. Yep. Well, and then the, got a, just a, just one more here from uh, MVD Rewind and a couple of uh, Vestrons. Uh, Liar's Moon with Matt Dillon and Cindy Fisher. 
Uh, Liar's Moon, another one that made me think, gosh, do I even remember that one just vaguely? And yeah, I kind of, I kind of do. Um, it, you know, I, I, Matt Dillon made so many of these movies around that same time. Mm. And, uh, he, he's kind of the same guy in all of them, right? It's all mm. like sort of small town, middle America. And he's like, uh, you know, a tough kid who's misunderstood or he's a tough kid who's not misunderstood or he's a tough kid who's in love or, you know, he's always a tough kid doing something. Mm. And he made like 20 or 30 of these in about five years. Anyway, um, so, yeah, this is, um, you know, it's it's a it's a romance. It's a guy and a girl. It's a kind of a Romeo and Juliet thing, but it's all right. It works. It, yeah, the, it works. The, 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 the David Fisher, director David Fisher. Yeah. Uh, the the Lee, uh, Cindy Fisher, David's sister. Right. That's David's right. sister, and 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 she was. I, 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 yeah, you look. She she was in a whole bunch of stuff for years and years. She was walking around Blues Brothers and and all. She's she one of those beautiful blonde actresses. It was just in all of those movies, and she just was just sort of there, uh, doing her thing. Always good. Never became a a, a movie star. But she's just one of those folks who just sort of like imprint themselves in your mind. Yeah. And I can just I, I remember an episode of Remington Steel that she was in, Cindy Fisher. And yeah. uh, they just they just there's some who just imprint whether they become movie stars or not. And she was one of them. She's in Swiss Family Robinson. I remember that. That's true. That's ridiculous. That's true. Yeah. Uh, then we got from Vestron, the Vestron Collector Series, which is, of course, very, very VHS oriented, even though they don't fully claim to it. But Vestron was like a huge VHS thing. Mm. Uh, Extreme Prejudice, Nick Nolte and Powers Booth. And again, Maria Conchita Alonso, directed by Walter Hill, who's just kind of uh, phoning it in a little bit. But it's very Walter Hilly. You know, it's guys and guns and, you know, hot women and. You know, vengeance, and it's very Walter Hilly. Uh, a little, little bit of a kind of a modern Western vibe to it. I, I like to think of this as the Chuck Norris movie in which Nick Nolte plays Chuck Norris, <laughs> uh, which is kind of what it is. Well, uh, John, John Milius, the, the, all that John. The, yeah, it's John very Milius. John Miliusy too. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has that vibe to it. But uh, it's got a few interesting ec- uh, extras on it. Michael Ironside is in this as well. He's in. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um and uh, you know uh, it, it it's a Walter Hill movie. I don't know what else to tell you about. With, it, with all those old, I, I, look, I, I love these guys, and I have to mention mention them because they're, they're those. So you got Clancy Brown, yeah. You yeah, got your, yeah. you got your Larry B. Scott. You got your yeah. you got your Tom Tiny Lister. Uh, walking around this movie, yeah, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it, I, these I love these guys. You know, these, these guys are great, and they're great faces. And if you don't know their Mickey Jones, if you don't know their names, when you look them up and you see their faces, they will register in your memory. I promise you, they will. Yeah. These are all. One, I love character actors, dude. I love the long-standing character actors who just you know started swinging 30, 40, 50 years ago and just keep swinging. Yep. Uh, and the last one here, also from Vestron, Dream a Little Dream. Mm. Now, this was this was at the time kind of in the um, in the body switching moment that we had. You know, there was yeah. there was uh, like Father Like Son. There was a uh, big. I mean, there were there were a whole bunch of them at the time, and this was kind of one of the lesser ones of it. Uh, it was more of a mind swap thing than yeah, the, the two Corys, you know, the two two, Corys. that's what they called them at the time, the two Corys. And it's hard for me to look at you look at this now and I think, wow, you know, it had they, they, they threw Jason Robards and Harry Dean Stanton in there to give it a little bit of legitimacy. But the two Corys, it's very sad, obviously, because Corey Haim has has left this this uh, this life. And mm. uh, you can't look at it without sort of knowing everything that he had suffered and 
what had happened to him and you know what it, what how much turmoil his life was, mm. was in at the time mm. uh but then also you know uh meredith salinger is in this movie Meredith mm-hmm. Salinger, piper mm-hmm. laurie bringing a lot of the uh, a lot of the legit too oh harry uh, dean and uh harry dean stan uh, yeah 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 but Mer- meredith salinger whose sister was a publicist that we knew very well yeah, and worked yeah. with for a long time and meredith salinger who weirdly is now married to pat oswalt <laughs> Just, yeah, yes. I, I, you know, honestly, if I if I were to go back to this time and somebody had said to me, you know, Meredith Salinger is going to be married to this kind of schlumpy guy, this comic guy that isn't really on the scene yet, but but he's playing some clubs around town. I would have said, you know what, you just don't troll me. That's just uh, crazy. That's just crazy. There we, there we go. There we go. Yeah, and, and, and which that's really mean because I w- it's Meredith at you know at the time yeah. of this movie, for instance, yeah. was just flaming, 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 flaming hot. <laughs> that's just that's the point. Uh, and it, weird turns. Yeah, you never know what's going to go down. There you go. Life takes weird turns. Uh, all right, so let's. Uh, <coughs> Let's go into so we got 4K, we've got TV, we've got new movies, we've got a ton of stuff here. Um, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're dealer's choice, man. You grab anything you want. I'm, we I'm got along LGBT, for the ride. We got the LGBT stuff. Uh, you know what? Let's let's just let's go run through some docs because we got one here that we've talked about in the past. We interviewed the director. We're going to make a big deal out of it. Oh sure. Ti- let's talk about Tiger Twenty Four. Oh wow, yeah, a very powerful doc. Warren, uh, Warren, Warren Pereira. You know, uh, we had a chance to talk to him on this podcast a few months ago when it was in release, and uh, he told us the amazing stories. And he is, of course, the one man band that made this. I mean, directed mm. it and wrote it and edited it and produced it and he hosts it and it's kind of amazing but the story of tiger 24 is is really what shines through and uh, warren made it a life's life's love and i i just think it's terrific um t- t- i mean you know basically we'll we'll just recap but it's the story uh you know in india yeah. they have these preserves where tigers are protected and they all typically have a buffer zone around them except for this particular one and maybe some others but this one because there's a temple that is inside the uh the preserve area there's this ridiculously non-existent interface between humans and Mm -hmm. where the tigers roam and uh then the question is you know people die and is the tiger defending himself or is the tiger a man-eater and uh i you know it, it winds up being this really interesting argument about you know where animal rights begin and end human rights begin and end conservation uh, is the process right um and you know what's going to happen to this poor tiger which is now out of its habitat and in a zoo uh, yeah. it's a really really powerful movie yeah yeah and, and, it, and it poses that question and, and perhaps we don't think about it that much here in the united states um uh, yes these things but but occasionally these things come up here too you know and and and, yeah. and, uh, and uh, bobcat country you know we live in los angeles which is actually bobcat country yeah mountain lion country uh and uh and and human encounters with all kinds of wildlife uh across uh, you know and so the question becomes look if the tiger is in the tiger preserve then how could the tiger be wrong for doing what the tiger does i remember you bringing that up on on, on radio yeah absolutely mm-hmm. true absolutely you know, true. so yeah. i'm not really so anyway there we go yeah <laughs> great doc though very powerful very thoughtful Another wonderful doc. I covered this one on radio too. Children of the Mist, uh, which is this beautiful, beautiful kind of uh, embed yourself with the people ethnographic documentary about the uh, Hmong people in mm-hmm. Vietnam, which is, of course, an ethnic minority in Hmong or in Vietnam, uh, most popularized here in, uh, of all things, uh, Clint Eastwood's Gran Torino. 
mm. which dealt with an immigrant Hmong population in the uh, in the U.S. And here they are basically looking at the way they live. I don't want to compare them quite to to the Amish. That's not really an accurate comparison, but they they certainly are a separate group within the Vietnam culture within the Vietnamese population. And um, the issue here is specifically about, you know, this this young woman and her desire to, you know, to to have a life outside of what is typically uh, uh, to what they're accustomed to arranged marriages. And whatnot. yeah, yeah. So it's, um, you know, without giving anything away on the I mean, it, it, most people who know about this know that it's about this practice called bride kidnapping. Very yeah. specifically. But don't yeah. let that sort of throw you. It's about more than that. It's it's it really is a, a kind of a coming of age thing, and it's about you know modernity and and tradition and all of these things specifically relating to this one community. Very nicely done. Really, really uh, one of those docs where you wonder how you know, were you on the like a fly on the wall. I mean, you you there, there's yeah. so much legit stuff. Really a good good film. Children of the Mist. Yeah, Holly DM the, the director, and, and it is it's about you know child marriage and, and agency uh, amongst these young women. They sometimes they are forced into these marriages as early as age fourteen, yeah. uh, and it's and uh, and it's it's all very complicated, but yeah, very interesting, very powerful movie. Uh, the Showtime documentary McEnroe, dude, you are the ten oh, yeah. man. Tell us about Johnny. I really love this this doc. Uh, in, in, in this doc, what we have is Johnny sitting there uh, in these in this black outfit. <laughs> you know, he's wearing. You know, he pretty much wears black. It's this whole yeah. rock and roll thing. Yeah. But he's sitting in a black room at a black desk in a black chair and a black outfit. It's on a keylet, uh, and he talks about his entire career, his life, and his career, including uh, his relationship with his father. And for anyone who's ever wondered about John McEnroe's nature on the tennis court when he was a young tennis player, and I, and, you know, that sort of explosive and, uh, and, and intense nature, watch this doc and meet his father yeah. uh, and meet his daddy. And you'll know who built John McEnroe to be the way he was. It's a very interesting thing. Uh, and you also sort of realize this in watching this, this doc. John McEnroe is very obviously, very obviously, you know, the natural sitting there, John McEnroe, on the spectrum. Yeah. Very obviously on the spectrum, which he knows and, and admits. I'm not, you know, calling out anything. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's funny how in a certain sort of set circumstance, you can start to see that. Uh, and, of course, there was not a thing called a spectrum, you know, 45, yeah. 50 years ago. Sure. When he, uh, uh, there. Um, and uh, But it's, it's, it's a very powerful doc. What I love most about it, previous, a previous documentary called Borg McEnroe. Uh, which was uh, yeah, and then of course there was the film too with you know Shia LaBeouf yeah. and, and, and everything. Uh, in this film, uh, his relation he talks about his relationship with Bjorn Borg, yeah, and and I think it's it's probably the truest representation of that relationship uh, that, that I've encountered. Uh, because from all those other representations, the films, the narrative films, and the other documentary, you you would have thought that they had an antagonistic relationship, but they didn't. They were, ve they are very, 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 very good friends. They were very good friends then, all the way back then. Uh, and, um, and it's just striking the things that we think we know and how incredibly wrong we can be. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, great doc here, also by Patricio uh, Guzman. Uh, would, it's called My Imaginary Country. 
And um, it's it, Guzman is Chilean and and made a really a very rousing documentary here about the revisiting the history of of, of the Chilean uh, revolution that overthrew Pinochet and mm-hmm. and how it uh, how it sort of connects to modern day Chilean history. And uh, you know it's amazing. This was made last year, and in many respects, it almost feels outdated. Things have moved so fast in mm-hmm. Chile, and it never really makes the news. But uh, really, if you want to, if you want to wrap your head around just how complicated and 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 messy that history is, it's so much more so than I think we ever imagined. But it's really a very very interesting. Uh, it's it's a it's just an absolutely fascinating. Uh, reconstruction of that history so that's from icarus and it's my imaginary country by patricio guzman his 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 his, um his films the battle of chile uh there it's like in two parts uh the battle of chile part one but they're fantastic Uh, not to mention and a great companion for um uh, I forget. I forget the director, but uh, Chile, Chile '76. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. The director, but yeah, great. All, all that together, uh, just great stuff. Uh, I got a thing here called Life and Life, which is about um, a a musician by the name of Reggie Austin, who um, who who was gone. I'm, I'm not going to give away what the, the the key of the story is, but he he went through his. Let's just say his life was basically stolen from him. And um, he's trying to reconstruct his life. He's trying to sort of, you know, repair his memory, repair his soul. And uh, life and life is talking about basically the two different lives that he he's led, the life that, that you know, he, he has been living and the life that he's trying to now connect to now that he's putting everything together again. Anyway, it's uh, it's really it's it's pretty powerful. And uh, the music is a is a huge part of it. The, the healing power of music, the therapeutic mm. power of music, not just for those who hear it, but those who create it. Uh, it's a doc that's really, really well worth discovering. So let's see if you can dig that up. Life and life. Mm. Um, another one here called uh, Forget Me Not, which really made quite a wonderful run around the uh, the festivals. Um, this is about a, a, a three-year-old. Well, it's about disabilities in the education system. Something mm. that I'm unfortunately discovering a lot about. You know, as you when you have kids and you get involved in school dis- school mm. boards and school districts and whatnot. Uh, and this is in New York, and um, it's about a, you know this little boy with Down syndrome, and he's three years old, and it's um, it's it's how the system does and does not integrate him into what should be, you know, a very welcoming and constructive educational uh, mm. pipeline. Mm. Uh, you know, kids with Down syndrome kind of are the also-rans, right? They're, well, they're not going to go to college, so what are you going to do with them? I mean, they're not really going to boost the the school's numbers. They're not going to, you know, kick up your all the data points that get you, you know, all your state aid and this kind of stuff. So mm. it's um, it's really, um, it's 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 a really really sad but also inspiring film because the the people here really really care. So that's a beautiful to- film too. That's from Cinema Libre. It's called Forget Me Not. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrapping down three final docs here. Uh, Kentridge and Dumas in conversation. This is by a, a very talented filmmaker named Catherine Myberg M E Y B U R G H, and um, a, a, this is not about Alexander Dumas. No. This is about William Kentridge and Marlene Dumas, mm-hmm. who are big, big figures in uh, the international art scene. And they basically have a conversation about art. 
And that's it. There is nothing else to this film, but it's really interesting. It's like my dinner with uh, two, you know, kind of pretentious art people who really kind of grow on me. And uh, I don't know that I like the art that they're necessarily talking about. I don't know that I even like their art, but I really did enjoy listening to them talk. Hmm. Interesting. And then uh, the last two here, a History Channel doc on the Coliseum, which I had the privilege of seeing uh, last year. It's an eight-episode uh, uh, documentary series uh, from Lionsgate and A&E, um, aired on the History Channel, and uh, gives you the whole history of the Coliseum, which actually was not called the Coliseum originally. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, and they and they get into that. You know, it's a it, it's it's a fascinating history, but it's all the stuff that we got in our in our big tour when we toured the Coliseum. And uh, it's really super fascinating. And what I what I like about this is that they have these um, recreation, these live action recreation sequences, which I kind of wish that we had, you know, guys putting on a gladiator show when we did it. It would have <laughs> felt a little bit more cool. But anyway, it's a really fascinating history and uh, it's well worth watching, even if it'll make you want to go there. And if you've been there, it'll make you want to go back. Wow. And then the last one, Jerry Anderson, Life Uncharted. Uh, the, the great Jerry Anderson behind all the super marionation shows we love so much like yeah. Thunderbirds. And then of course also space 1999 and UFO. Um, and, uh, boy, what a, you know, it's like, we know Jerry Anderson, but we don't know as much about him as we know about other icons like that. Like we know everything there is to know about Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Right. But do we know anything about Jerry Anderson? No, we just know what he created. Yeah. yeah. Well, this gets into his very long and, and kind of a, you know, I mean, a real pioneer, but also kind of a kind of a tempestuous guy. Mm. Um, they talked to they talked to a lot of people here, friends and and people who worked on the on his shows. And um, he, you know, he came from a really, really nasty upbringing. Wow. Like his background was tough. It was hard scrabble. And he was a tough guy to deal with. Like he was not easy. So um, that kind of, you know, makes me. A little more fascinated. It makes me respect the guy a little bit more, especially when you when you see where he came from. Well, it, it, an interesting thing, and I'll, and I'll have to check this out. Look, you can't talk about Jerry and this Anderson without yeah. talking this Jerry Anderson without talking about Sylvia. Exactly. Uh, um, um, uh, that was a messy divorce too. Oh, it was, it was a thing. But I got to tell you, Sylvia. When you when you watch all of those shows, Sylvia was the costume designer, the, yeah. the designer of many many things on the show, but, but definitely the costumes. And I got to tell you, much of those programs, UFO and all that kind of stuff, was about the costumes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sylvia, you know, it was all very pop, British pop in the early seventies and all kinds of stuff. But Sylvia kept it sexy. Uh, Sylvia kept it uh, captivating and colorful. Yep. Uh, and and frankly, she kept me. She very often she kept me tuned in because you know you yeah. never knew what somebody was going to wear. Fishnet. Sylvia was very much into fishnet. So you know, yeah. Oh man! All right. Uh, let's do the four Ks. Let's um, uh, uh, do some four Ks because uh, some of these are some uh, like Babylon. I know is in there, right? <laughs> let's start with the the four K Steelbook of Babylon. Yeah. The 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 over the three hour and ten minute R rated um, suicide wish for Damien Chazelle. I don't know what he was thinking, but mm -hmm. um, you know, again, moving back to the Busby Berkeley thing, I have been immersed for for a very long time now in in the world of in this particular period. This is just before, right? Buzz comes here in the in the early 30s, and that's you know Sam Goldwyn and, and Warner Brothers and MGM, and you know building musicals for the sound era. This is the period building up to the 
shift to sound. This is the mm. silent era. Mm. And you know what? My big problem with Babylon, I got a lot of problems with Babylon. And everybody knows I love me some Chazelle. I do. La La. I, I, you know, I, La La Land is, is near and dear to my heart. But man, I just didn't like this movie in any way whatsoever. And part of it is because, uh, and I had a, this conversation with Amy, by the way. Mm. Because Amy liked it, and mm. I said, "Yeah, but it, it, it's not even remotely the 1920s. He's 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 recreating like the 19 teens and passing it off as the 1920s. And in terms of filmmaking and technology, that's like the difference between the Stone Age and the Roman in, in antiquity. I mean, it's it, a ton of things changed between 1913 and say 1927. Mm. So I I just I felt like it was sort of all over the map and uh, you know a little too crazy and debauched. But I don't know. You tell me." No, no, Sammy, look, the movie lost me in the opening sequences. There's an opening sequence in this movie that involves an elephant. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and by the time that opening sequence is over, which is before the big party begins, I'm already yeah. out of the movie. Yeah. I- uh, uh, so, 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 so I'm like, you, you, you've, you've told me what you think, uh, Damien. Uh, with that scene, you told you you've told me what you think of you know, of all this, and for a guy you know who ostensibly loves Hollywood, yeah, um, I, it, it just struck me as odd. Two great things in the film: uh, a, a really solid performance from Brad Pitt and a really solid performance from Gene yeah. Smart, and a really solid performance from the throwing it all at the wall, Margot Robbie. Yeah. Uh, so what bugged me uh, about the 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 discussion of this movie were, were the attacks on Margot Robbie as though the problems of this movie were her fault. <laughs> no, she's given it all. She's given it all. She's dry. She's leaving it all. She, on the floor. She, she handed herself over to these directors, a bunch of men, frankly. Uh, and, 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 and just like, um, Elizabeth, uh, I think it was, who was, who was in the uh, showgirls? Elizabeth, whether, whether oh, Elizabeth Berkeley, Elizabeth Berkeley. Okay. Cause this is the equivalent to me. This is the present day equivalent of showgirls. And Elizabeth Berkeley handed herself over to, uh, you know, Paul Verhoeven and all the, and said, all right, you guys, you guys know what you're doing. I'm just a young actress. I'll swing it. I'll swing. Uh, with you guys, and Margot did that, and then and then when this movie tanks, everybody came after Margot, as if Damien Chazelle hadn't killed two big yeah. budget movies in a row, this one and frankly First Man. Yeah, uh, as if all the he wrote every word of this movie, Damien Chazelle. Yes, he did. Uh, all all one hundred and and the, and his director's got apparently like over four and a half hours. I don't. Yeah. I, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Everything about this movie has to rest with him. And that is it, and that is all. Whatever you think about it, and if it had been a big hit, it, it would have it would have been it would have accrued to him too. Uh, but it, but uh, it it isn't, and it didn't. And there's some really interesting ideas in this movie. All that stuff to do with the anime Wong style character yeah. and all of that. Yeah. That's great history. This is great Hollywood history. Yeah. And to get it wrong, just sort of jack it up like that, really sort of interesting because what it means is it'll be tough for someone else to come along to want to do some of this history, and Hollywood will be like, oh no. Uh, can't do that now. Fortunately, Fincher's uh, Fincher's film uh, Mank, yeah, came out a year or two, or maybe the year before this. Ten nominations, and, you know, and and would uh, one like so, two, yeah. But you know, if if we could have done these in order, I would have rather Babylon came out and tanked, and then Mank came out and got yeah. his ten. So yeah, yeah. You know, we'll deal with it. Well, from the uh, ridiculous to the sublime, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front mm. almost seemed like it was going to walk away with some Oscars uh, or some big Oscars uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, here's what's fascinating. It did walk away with four, got four technical awards mm. and uh, and, uh, you know, the, the international award. But um, Netflix uh, has all the rights to the this amazing German film here. 
But Netflix also made this their first ever 4K UHD release. Mm. So that if you want to see this in the best possible form, you don't have to actually go and watch it on Netflix. Mm. You can buy it on a 4K Blu-ray. Yeah, That's interesting that Netflix has made that decision. I find that totally... Yeah, it, 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 it'll look better on the 4K than it will on oh, Netflix. This is a, because this on Netflix, you, you never know what you're actually going to get when you're streaming Netflix. No, no, and this is amazing. I will say that. This is one of the best-looking 4Ks I've seen in a very, very long time. I mean, it's really, really, really tremendous. Um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful transfer. This thing won seven BAFTAs, including the best picture. Um, has an audio commentary from uh, Edward Berger, the uh, the director, and a a um, twenty four page booklet that has you know it's I mean it's it's all right, it's fine, it's it's sort of what you expect. Uh, but it's the it's the commentary by Berger and the uh, interview with um, uh, Daniel Schopflug, who is the historian. <laughs> you and those names, Schopflug. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, here's the thing. I know Andy kind of groused about this when we had our, our Oscar preview show that it, it makes some changes in the book. And I get it. You know, Andy's a big, big literary stickler. But, yeah. you know, the original movie won nearly 100 years ago, came just a year after the publication of the book. It was very much contemporary with World War One, just a few years after, you know, mm. we're talking late 20s, early 30s. Uh, an American movie, of course. An American movie contemporary with those events adapted from the book one best picture germany itself could not bring itself to tell this story for nearly a century so it now has hindsight it has not just world war one but it has world war ii in the rearview mirror so you can you can kind of now make this story and see things in it that that even the author couldn't have seen in his own story at the time, sort of forecasting what was going to happen again. Uh, and on that level, I think it's it's just unbelievably powerful. I know a lot of people have problems with it. I don't like the score. I'll admit mm. that. I think the music is very distracting. But just as a piece of raw cinema, just putting it together, I mean, it really is an impressive movie. Well, the technology today is, you know, obviously the technology today, you know, as opposed yeah. to the technology of almost 100 years. So you have that. Uh, and, uh, and, and um, you know, perspective, a certain sort of perspective. A certain sort of per- I gotta get, what, what do you call those two little dots they put over all the all the names? Is that the umlaut? Is that the umlaut? Yeah, it's you, the umlaut, yes. I've never seen so many umlauts. Paul Balmer and it's umlaut, Andreas Doler and, and Daniel Bruhl. And it's just I, umlaut, Sebastian Hulk. It's just umlauts over everybody's name. I haven't seen so movie. many umlauts since, uh, since the uh, Monsters of Rock invited <laughs> all of those heavy metal bands to use the umlauts. All those dots yeah. over here. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy, man. Too funny. Um, you know, this is interesting. I mean, con- concurrent with Creed 3 being out in theaters and uh, having done its thing, we now have a Rocky 4K collection, mm. which is interesting. And this is why it's interesting because it's it's uh, they they've given us a, a nice little tight box set and very slim one case of 4K versions of Rocky, Rocky two, Rocky three, Rocky four, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. Just Rocky one, two, three, and four. But it's because everyone tries to pretend like Rocky five doesn't exist. <laughs> now, why do you think that is? Well, yeah, because it's just so terribly bad with that kid. You know? uh, and 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 interestingly, Creed three. So Rocky one, two, uh, yeah, one through four. Yeah. All good movies, all solid populist movies. Yeah. Rocky One is a serious film. Yeah, uh, that deserved that. That deserved that screenplay. And then after that, he just starts making these populist movies. <laughs> They're not particularly serious, but nevertheless, 
very popular movies and and sometimes like i get confused about you know what's happening in which movie to be honest with you i think yeah. i think the, i think the second one is the, is the second battle with apollo yeah uh, that he wins and the third yeah. one is, is going to be that's going to be clubber clubber lang, yep. lang and then and then, and then we got the uh, dolph long and the russian dude right in the yep. fourth one yep yep yeah, all solid movies all solid movies and then we and then did a, a whole lot of time elapses actually and for whatever reason they make rocky five uh and, with that and, boxer and, kid and but the thing is that in Rocky Five, Rocky Five is missing the two things that I think make the the Rocky saga one, two, three, and four. This is a complete saga, mm. and it's a complete saga because it has two things that none of the other Rocky movies have, mm. and that is Adrian, mm-hmm. who's not in Five, Mm-mm. and Apollo Creed. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's a really interesting thing to me, because what it says is that it's not just about Rocky. It's about Rocky, his nemesis and his woman. You've built a whole family by the time you get built to, a family to, to, to four. And that family is going to do battle in four against the, you know, yeah, look, it was 19, whenever four came out, 80, whatever the hell it was, 90, whatever the hell. So the Russians were still a thing. Yes. And frankly, uh, in, in, in that period, you could get the entire nation to, yeah. to, to, to line up behind the Soviets. Let's say the Soviets. Let's not say yeah. Russians. Let's say Soviets. Uh, uh, you can get everybody in the United States of America. Look, I was, I, I had spent, I had spent the late part of the seventies in, in the entire first half of the decade of the eighties, uh, in the United States Air Force, uh, where our mortal enemy, uh, was the Soviet Union. Uh, you're not even the Chinese yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was the Soviet Union, so it was really easy to get everybody to sort of line up uh, with Rocky uh, in Rocky Four for Rocky yeah. Four. Interesting that today, in today's political environment, yeah, I'm not sure Rocky Four would be a hit. I'm not sure who'd be rooting for Dolph and who'd be rooting <laughs> for Sylvester in the America of today. But way back then, it was all it was all Rocky for real. So one through four makes sense. And 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 I do. It does make sense because I also think his relationship with Adrian and his relationship with Apollo, they 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 carry through a complete arc, right? I mean, he and Apollo have made up. They are they are compadres by four. But his relationship with Adrian is stressed. Yes. So I think you know that is a very interesting switch. And I and I do think that the four films, uneven as they are really do represent a complete saga. And there's an, there's an exclamation point at the end of four. And I think at that point, then we're kind of off in, you know, a different, a different universe. But I do want to also say the eye of the tiger montage in Rocky three is maybe the best thing that Stallone has ever directed. And it may be the best movie montage I've ever seen. I yeah. just love it. I love it. Yeah. He figured it out by then. He figured it out by, by, yeah. by, by three. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see a few other things here on 4K. We got uh, got an old uh, Dario Argento movie called Phenomena. Uh, it's on a two disc set from Synapse, and uh, it includes the uh, the original international version, and then it also includes the uh, or I'm sorry, the original Italian version, and it also includes the uh, international and quote unquote Creepers yes. versions. Yes. So uh, I am not a Dario Argento fan. Nah, not a big fan. I would I, say there's I appreciate no- it, but I don't really like it. But I do love young Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly in 1985 is a hell of a thing. <laughs> I agree with you there, but <laughs> there is no version of this movie that works for me. <laughs> no, you there's, there's just no version of it that works for me. But I, I do agree. I mean, I like um, 
I like the music. It's got kind of a, you know, it's got a, got a cool rock soundtrack. I mean, uh, but that's, you know, talking about umlauts got motorhead on it. <laughs> Can't get away from the umlauts. Uh, but uh, yeah, but you know, I mean, so it's, apart from the music, I mean, it just, um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's another one of these, you know, Jennifer Connelly goes to this private school and, you know, then uh, Dario Gento does weird crap and it, you know, it's, it, it just, if yeah yeah um not my fan but anyway yeah no i agree with you it's got great audio it's it looks good it's 4k fantastic for people who like dario argento i guess um also got uh the very very first ever 4k from classic flicks believe it or not they're they're jumping on the 4k bandwagon as well which is a great thing uh and uh this is a 1954 film called the long wait Mm. Which is uh, which is a Mickey Spillane thing, you know, not not top tier Mickey Spillane. It's got a great cast. It's got Anthony Quinn and uh, Gene Evans and and Reggie Castile, Charles Coburn. It's a it's a it's a it's a good solid. Um, it's a good solid uh, kind of B level noir, I guess is maybe the best way to mm-hmm. put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, Mickey Spillane is his DNA is all over this thing and. If it had slightly better actors and maybe a little better direction, it would be kind of top tier. Uh, but, uh, you know, as it is, Victor Saville. Excuse me. Mm. Mm. This is I, thank you. I've never seen <laughs> on the show before. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Victor Saville is a kind of meat and potatoes director from the period, ni- early, early 50s, 1954. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those, um, one of those amnesia deals, right? Guy has mm-hmm. you know, he's caught in an accident, he has amnesia and then, you know, a lot of few contrived things happen. And, uh, it's, this is, you know, it, it's an, th- this is one of his handful of non Mike hammer stories. And, uh, even though it still feels like a Mike hammer story, mm-hmm. you know, it still does, but, uh, no, it, you know, it's, 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 it's worth checking out. It's definitely a, a really interesting, uh, entry from the period. Uh, DC animated movie, Batman, Mm. the doom that came to Gotham. Uh, One of the better recent DC animated movies. I do like what they're doing. I'm wondering what's going to happen now that the whole DC universe is being refashioned over there. I wonder what's going to happen with these, but I I hope they don't do too much with the animated stuff because this Mm. is, you know, this is pretty sharp. It's dark and it's, it's got a, you know, interesting, uh, interesting take on the gotham lore and well look it can't it can't be it can't it can't be uh, look i've been watching gotham uh gotham knights i guess is what they call it the, yes, over exactly. over on the cw this new thing with these kids running around with this entirely uh disparate uh uh take on the entire gotham world where you know batman gets killed he's got some adopted kid and and robin is just it's just uh it's just a teenage black girl and and i'm just like for God's sakes, people! Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing to me here? I just, I just want to watch Batman, man. Can I just watch Batman? And the answer is no. <laughs> you cannot. You're gonna, you're gonna deal with whatever we decide is happening in these, in these universes. And I'm too old. I'm too old. Yeah. I'm too old. I can't do it. I mean, too old. Th- this is very dark. It deals with doomsday cult in Gotham, and you know all this kind of stuff. But uh, and and you know the these. Well, I won't get into the Robin stuff. There's an interesting thing that's going on. <laughs> there's a lot of Robin stuff. There's you know Nightwing yeah. Robin. It's not like it's not. It's not like it's just one. But you know whatever. You know, do what do what you're doing, kids. Do what you're doing. Oh, Gerard Butler, dude. Oh, plain. Uh, yeah, plain. I mean, you know, Mike Coulter, I can forgive because Mike Coulter just kind of he sort of understands 
what he's doing when he walks into these things. He'll walk into a bad movie and out of it and into a good movie. But I don't know. Gerard, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Tell me. I don't know. Help me out. <laughs> what are you going to say? You know, the guy playing for it's just the storm, the whole, the whole, the whole shebang. Now, Gerard has been doing this for a while. This is no different than those, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to kill the president movies. Yeah. He did four or five of those, three or four of those, you know, yeah. uh, and th- and this is what he has been doing. Yeah. And, 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 and it's fine. You're right. Hey, look, Gerard, I might, I mean, Mike, Mike's trying to get, Mike's trying to have a payday. Uh, 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 you know, he's like, look, can, can you get me something where I can make some money? He walks over, he walks around this movie, makes it a couple feel, bucks. It feels to me like there's just too many things going on here. Like a plane crashes on an island and then there's like a political revolution happening. And then turns out that Mike Coulter is a is a is a convict, is an escaped convict or some. I don't they are like too many things happening that just would never co- coincide in the same place in the same story. It's like the writers were just sitting around uh, taking some kind of drugs and going, <laughs> I know what if there's like a thing and they just and everything they came up with, they just threw in. Yeah. And it's a very strange movie. It doesn't make any difference to whether it makes any sense or not. <laughs> yeah. And it mostly does not. It mostly does not. Uh, we got Dragon Slayer on 4K. I always uh, love this movie. I, I'm so corny, Matthew Robbins. I always love this Peter Peter McNichol and uh, just I you know Ralph can't. Richardson. I just can't, I can't help it. This this terrible movie. I just love this movie. <laughs> it, you know, and that's and that's what I was going to ask you because I I didn't like this much at the time. It's terrible. And and it's and it feels kind of weirdly nostalgic. Like watching it now. This is 1981. You know, this is that early genre moment yeah. after Spielberg and Lucas have sort of cracked the whole thing open they've opened the pandora's box and now everybody's jumping through and making fantasy and sci-fi and spaceships and dragons and fantasy and it's just the whole you know, you know the every, everything's wide open now and i you know i mean it's it is kind of retro in, a, in an endearing way it's so I, retro. I, I, it's I, so I, I, retro. I sort of feel bad about not liking it at the time because i look at it's the same way i look at crawl right i hated crawl couldn't stand it and I look at Kroll now and I go, oh, oh yeah. Kroll. <laughs> you know, hey, look, Guillermo del Toro's, you know, the recent, the recent, the recent yeah. Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Matthew Robbins is one of the writers on that movie. Oh, is he? Uh, yeah, I'm almost certain he is. Uh, I don't know I, that I, I even I, noticed I, I, that. I'll scrape around and look it up. So, you know, he's been around Mimic and Dragon Slayer, all that kind of stuff. So, as a writer, I always, you know, I, I kind of dug Matthew. I, I hold Crimson Peak is Matthew Rob. You know, the, don't be afraid. There's a whole bunch of cool stuff he wrote. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, this movie is not a great movie, but for whatever reason, uh, he wrote here, right? I just love. Mac Nichol, I always love Peter McNichol for one thing. He's just yeah, great. Too. He's moved, like, the underdog guy, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And and Sir Ralph and that one great sequence where he has to, you know, he has to you, you, you're all standing on top of the thing and, and kill the dragon with the great. That's just so cool. It is cool. It is cool. I, I admit. I, uh, but it's a terrible movie. You're absolutely right. I Peter McNichol, my favorite Peter McNichol line in any movie that he has ever been in. Do you know what it is? Uh, is it in? Is it in? Is it in uh, the second Ghostbusters movie? It sure is. <laughs> What's the line? And the line is, and I will do the accent as best I can. It's right near the end of the movie when he says, "Why am I covered with goo?" <laughs> he is brilliant. 
in that movie. He really is. He very funny. is brilliant in that yeah. movie. He he walks away with that movie, and, and it's one of the it's one of the one of the few moments where where Bill Murray said, "You know what? This guy's funnier," yeah. <laughs> and, and, and just let him have every scene. Yes, indeed. So, uh, and then a couple from uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory. We've got the James Wan film Dead Silence mm-hmm. on 4K and Blu-ray. Uh, you know what? Um, you know it's it's a it's an evil like it's an evil doll movie. It's like those twi- Twilight Zones and everything else. I mean, there's a million of them. Mm. Um, a good screenplay by by Leigh Whannell, and uh, you know, based on a story that he wrote with the James Wan. Uh, Wan's direction pretty solid. Good, good in this genre. I just uh, I don't I don't know. Um, it uh, oh, it's um, fine. You got the kid from uh, the kid from yeah. uh, Ryan. What's his name from um, True Blood? Yeah, uh, the, yeah. It's, 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 it's fine. fine. It, it's fine. I mean, it comes with uh, you know two different cuts on it: theatrical and unrated, a uh, bunch of uh, featurettes and whatnot. Yeah, it's fine. And then the last one here, uh, the last 4K is real oddity. William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist mm, Three, nineteen ninety. Yeah, I mean, it's such a such an odd thing because, you know, Blatty, of course, wrote the book and then went after the the first film, which is a classic. And then the second film, mm. which was John Borman losing his mind. And it's mm. considered one of the all time worst movies ever made, even though I think that's a little bit harsh, but it's really <laughs> insane. Mm. And then suddenly we get, you know, written and directed by William Peter Blatty, who never actually wrote a screenplay or directed the movie in his life. But, mm. you know, hey, it's his property. He gets to do what he wants. Well, yeah. Um, um, he probably negotiated that, his or his agents negotiated yeah. that for him for the rights to do that second film, uh, which is funny uh, that you know that terrible film would get him a shot at making an even worse right. film. Because right. <laughs> you know, but you know what, um, George C. Scott actually maintains a measure of gravitas he in does. this film. He does. That almost makes you buy it. You know, I yeah. mean, he he brings a level of real gravitas to it, it that, you, yeah. that makes you not hate it. So I agree. good choice in picking Joyce C. Indeed. Uh, so what's interesting here, three different cuts of this, and they're very interesting to compare. Unlike, you know, the... the uh, Dario Argento thing phenomena. Uh, these cuts are really interesting, and uh, but you only get one of them in 4K, so you only get the theatrical cut in 4K, um, and uh, then you get the uh, the uh, on Blu-ray you only get the Legion cut, and the Legion cut was his original director's cut, which had been thought lost, mm-hmm. and it's very very interesting. Uh, it's it's really worth checking out. I I don't know that it's better. Um, and there's a really interesting documentary here about the making of the film, which is crazy. But um, it's interesting to see what the director's cut looked like and to compare it. I mm. think in some respects it's better. I think in most respects it's not. But it is. It is. Uh, it makes you wonder who whose idea were some of the uh, some of the choices and uh, the, the, the changes. Uh, Brad Dourif also very very good in this. Want to give him uh, a shout out and and yeah. Nickel Williamson, who of course was uh, so wonderful in. Uh, as Merlin in uh, Excalibur. Yep. So uh, some, yeah, so it's a fascinating movie. Good, good, All good. right. Uh, let's see. Oh, let, let's do some new movies because we got some Oscar-y stuff in here too. Uh, <laughs> okay. Something was recently nominated. Let's uh, first give a shout out to uh, Oscar winner Brendan Gleeson. Or, yeah. Sorry, Brendan Fraser, Fraser for The Whale, uh, directed by Darren Aronofsky, who does a very good job of making, of getting, um, directing really depressing movies that win people Oscars. 
Uh, yeah, the whale being a movie that I didn't particularly care for, but deeply yeah. appreciated both Brendan's performance, <laughs> excuse me, and um, uh, what's the young lady uh, who also got nominated? Uh, you, you know what it is. Yes, um, yes. Uh, uh, in the movie, a couple of great performances, and what's effectively Hong a oh, Hong thank Chow. you, thank you, yeah. and what's effectively kind of a stage play. It is. Uh, okay. Or the problem is that it feels like that for yeah. me. It felt like that to me. Yeah. Uh, I felt, and there's a reason for the guy. He's you know morbidly obese, and and, and he's, he's you know he, yeah, he's got his daughter, and he yeah. wants to you know it's it's a daddy daughter thing, and yeah. I I should respond to it on that level, but it 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 again it's it feels like one of those movies that was designed to win someone an Oscar. Yeah, and, and then it has it has this idea, this central idea, at the center of it too that. Look, uh, morbidly obese. Okay, that's a thing. Uh, I, I know some big people. Yeah. Not all of them are shut in. Some of them are just big people roaming around the world like Lizzo. Right. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know, Lizzo, uh, yeah. and, and, and uh, don't give a damn about being fat uh, yeah. and, uh, and 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 uh, and living their lives. And and so you know, I, I get the people who have sort of issues around that notion. On the other hand. It's a character that I actually, that I certainly can believe yeah. uh, would have the issues that he had around his sort of body type and body size and, and all that kind of stuff. But didn't really care for the movie. Great performance, though. And uh, Sarah Polly, uh, mm-hmm. our lovely Sarah Polly, who's been just a wonderful young actress uh, in all of those Adam McGoyan movies and, you know, all the way back. Now she is a a mom and a filmmaker. And uh, she wore she wore a, just a straight up tuxedo suit to the Oscars. And <laughs> it was so funny on the red carpet. They were asking her, they're thinking, oh, is this some kind of a statement, like a feminist statement? And they said, well, you know, can you talk about it? and they give her the, the usual spiel about, you know, who are you wearing and why are you wearing? And, and she just straight up said, she goes. I just want to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah. That was it. She just wanted to wear something comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And good on her. Yeah. She's entitled. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I look good in this suit. Women talking really just extraordinary. Yeah. That, the, the screenplay wise, I felt like it was just the best screenplay. Yeah. Again, a stage play dynamic, right? Because we're we basically right. we're in that barn. But but I never felt like I was just watching a it stage. It opens play. it up just enough with some of those flashbacks and some of the other stuff at the beginning. Yeah, it opens it up just enough. Um, based on a book, uh, the book by uh, Miriam Taves, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, and yeah, I mean a story of a uh, a um, what's the um, what is the? It, they don't say so in the film. Uh, not not. Are they, are they Mennonites? What are they? Uh, Mennonites, correct. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's a it's a it's a Mennonite uh, commune where uh, some some unsavory things have happened to the women. The men drink too much, so forth and so on. And so the women are having a a very confidential secret congress in uh, in a barn talking about are we gonna are we gonna fight back or are we gonna leave? Mm-hmm. What are we gonna do. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I find most compelling about this is is not just how well rounded all the characters are and how they all have a point of view and that you know they they're able to maintain this this tension of conversation for the duration of the film, but I I, I like the fact that they they are still committed to their faith. Mm-hmm. At no point do they say the men who control our our faith uh, have caused us to lose faith. To them, the men are betraying the faith. They are the these women are the ones who are up to, upholding it, and they see themselves as as spiritually superior and really that they need to do this not just for their own safety but for God. Yeah, that I thought made that made the whole thing so rich and fascinating. It added such a powerful dynamic to it. So 
Um, not an easy screenplay to write, even if you're working from a book. Really, really good stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. Book based on, you know, generally speaking, um, true events. Yes. Broadly speaking, true events. Yes. Very true. Uh, did not win an Oscar because it came out this year. Will not win an Oscar next year. But uh, Blu-ray unrated Megan. Talking about evil doll movies. Mm. Um, it was on the radio with with uh, with Christy on this one. Christy loved this. I just I can't get with it. It's got <laughs> it's got both cuts unrated and theatrical. Doesn't make a difference. Yeah. So yeah, this is kind of like um, uh, child's play meets I don't know two thousand and one or. Blade Runner or something. Anyway, it's a young woman who is, uh, you know, she creates an AI doll for children for the toy company she works for. And of course, the doll is just a little bit too AI. It's like chat GPT on on <laughs> and uh, and the doll the doll just becomes a little bit too attached to her niece who loses her parents in the very first film of the the first scene of the film. Anyway, I mean, you know, ultimately it's a, who cares? They're going to make a sequel to this thing. Well, no, look, it's just a creepy doll. Murdering people. And, and, and I'm sorry, but look, Chucky, at least you know, that, that's the demon in that doll. You know, demon, the demon, the demon, the demon. Yes. You can't do anything about the demon doll. It's a yeah. demon doll. No matter what you do, the demons in the doll. Megan, hey, take the batteries out of the freaking thing. <laughs> just, 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 just let the battery run down. It's easy to fix Megan. She's not running on a nuclear charge or anything. It's just just unplugged abroad. Yeah. But whatever. Go ahead, people. Oh, man. So this was expected to get a little bit of a run at the award season, and it did not uh, for whatever reason. Alice Darling with Anna Kendrick. I just think Anna Kendrick keeps getting the short end of the stick. She got one Oscar nomination, and she just keeps not getting them. But um, you know what? This is this is a really, really strong performance, but a film that I think just kind of missed people a little bit. Mm. Um, and I'm not quite sure why. Well, uh, you know, it's it's uh, the abusive relationships, all the dynamics going. Yeah. Alice is a young woman. She has to really, she goes on off on a trip. Boy, uh, bad boyfriend, the and, bad boyfriend yeah. thing. And, and, and the thing of it is, he's he's a gaslight. He's not like he's this physically abusive guy in the film. I'm not giving anything away. This is yeah. way of it. but he's just gaslighter. And Mary Mary Nye, Mary Nye's director, Bill Bill Nye's daughter. I yeah. think, if I'm not mistaken, right? Dark, right? Yes, correct. Uh, and, and, and directing here, and it, it, and I, I had to, I had to review it for the show. It's a little bit nebulous, and it floats around, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's speaking to this, to this, to this thing that's relevant, in, in you know, the sort of post Me Too or still Me, Me Too sort of moment. But I don't know; it just didn't congeal as, as, as a movie, uh, as a whole movie. Uh, for me, you know, it yeah. just sort of floats around the space where these things happen. And I'm like, yes, there's this space. These things do happen. And but then, you know, no. no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, uh, you know, she, of course, got her Oscar nomination for uh, Up in the Air. And mm. uh, so I this I would normally have talked about when we talk about uh, uh catalog films but i mm. want to bring this in because of up in the air mm. the 2013 jason reitman film labor day with kate winslet and josh brolin out on blu-ray as uh, now and uh you know it's funny looking at this in hindsight now that you know jason reitman is kind of i think looking for a groove in his career i mean mm. going to the you know the ghostbusters sequel and kind of you know he's a little bit all over the map right now i think he's trying to sort of find his his footing against it's up in the air but in hindsight this is a much better movie then I gave it credit for at the time. And I got to mm. say that 2013, I think I was looking for, you know, something else out of him. And I, I, I think I've mentioned here before that I was on the the AFI shorts jury the year that his student film was in the mix. And, 
you know, it was kind of came down to between his student film and this amazing film that eventually got an Oscar nomination called Two Cars, One Night mm. by Taika Waititi. Mm. I didn't know who Taika was. I definitely knew who Jason was, but mm. I didn't know who Taika was. Well, we gave the award to Taika and look at him now. <laughs> well. You know, uh, he's, he's blown up huge. Uh, I feel like a proud papa. But no, really, uh, Jason Reitman did a did a really, I, I think, a really much better job here. I think if this film were released today, it would probably be hit a much more welcome audience. And um, it, it's it's a very very mature film. I think the I think Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin are you know I mean it's a whole it's a whole you know unlikely romance thing, uh, damaged people and and you know that kind of a thing. It's it's a familiar kind of subgenre, but still, I think they're really really good in it. Josh Brolin has rarely been better. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Seriously, Red is an Australian kind of romantic comedy, super campy. I mean, this is such an Australian movie. Uh, If you like Muriel's Wedding and The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and Strictly Ballroom and all those really gaudy Australian kind of poppy, campy movies of that particular era in the 90s, you will love this because it is right in that pocket. Uh, Gracie Otto directs this, this, um, fascinating movie starring, uh, crew Boylan, who also wrote it, basically wrote it for herself, mm. where she plays, um, a woman with a complete obsession with Dolly Parton. She wants to be a Dolly Parton impersonator and she winds up hooking up with a Kenny Rogers impersonator. <laughs> and the whole thing is just gets so weird and so creepy. But the thing is, she's secretly gay. And yeah, and yeah. and that's that's kind of the thing that she doesn't want to admit it to her family. And so that creates a really interesting subtext to it. Uh, I, I, I can't say it totally works, but you just kind of can't take your eyes off it. Uh, Bobby Cannavale's in it. Rose Byrne. Um, it, you know, it's a it's a it's a really I mean, if you like those other movies, I think you'll respond to it. It, mm. it, it should be better. It could be better. It's a little bit kind of imbalanced, but it's got a good heart. It's got a really it's good kind heart. of funny. Hey, look, look, seriously, yeah. red, seriously, yeah. red. Is the, you, you, the, 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 uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of sweet and, and rather enjoyed it. Um, uh, I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, I, no, I, 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 I was thinking of a different person. Never mind. Go on, go on. Go on. All right. Uh, next one, uh, another new movie called Missing with Storm Reed and Nia Long. And, uh, you know, uh, this is this is all right. Um, it's uh, it, it's a it, it. This is almost certainly shot during the pandemic. So I you, you in some respects, you kind of feel the the long shadow of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't I you know, I don't know. It, did, did you get a chance to see this? Did you see I did. I did. I did. I did. Yeah. 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 This, it's, a, it's a pretty good thriller, right? It's a, yeah. it's a pretty decent thriller. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Chick trying to find a uh, chick trying to find uh, uh, her mother. Yeah. Uh, and 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 uh, I kinda, you know, look, I did that story and it's sort of well done but i think you're right besides that's neil long i really dig neil yeah. long and i'm and i'm a big fan of uh of that this young actress what's her name is it uh yeah she's running together but i like her a lot she's really really good yeah i think so too uh but it, but i but i have to the way that it incorporates technology and you know there's a whole social media thing to it 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 it's it just feels like it feels like it was probably a different script until the pandemic hit. And then they said, let's just incorporate all this social media stuff so that we can. Yeah. A lot of time on computers, a lot of yeah. time on phones, but that's okay. Yeah. 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 
Uh, two more here, two more new movies, and then we'll uh, dive into TV and then uh, call it quits, I think. Uh, the Weapon, which is, has a bunch of people that uh, should be doing better movies, including Cooper Gooding Jr. <laughs> uh, and Bruce Dern, but that's okay. Uh, you know, I it, it, this is sort of a standard issue grindstone. We, we talked about a grindstone movie actually on Film Week this week. And uh, grind, the grindstone Lionsgate thing, it's just mm-hmm. a formula and it kind of works. And, uh, you know, I mean, they get they get some good actors like Sean Patrick Flannery and Cooper Gooding Jr. They stick them in what's basically just kind of a straight up uh, revenge thriller thing. You got, you know, meth and gang biker gangs and the mob and mafia. And it's, a, you know, I mean, it, it's it's we've seen this a million times, but son of a gun it it kind of it kind of all plays well you know back in the day this would have been the kind of movie that would have had a nice little run at the box office with joel, uh, with joel silver would have produced it exactly exactly yeah. exactly now you know it, 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 it these these movies have a nice little live streaming one place or another yeah. uh and there's a whole fan base that comes out to see these bad boys yeah yep yeah, i agree i agree and then the last one here is a curious little uh, indie film called Mantra. Um, it, you know, I feel like this would have been a Christopher Nolan movie at one point, actually, <laughs> uh, like back in his, you know, early days. It sort of it sort of has a, a similar vibe to it. It's an interesting little script. Um, it's uh, it's about a guy. His, his brother was killed and, you know, he has these haunting dreams and a um, uh, a psychiatrist subjects him to a particular treatment that kind of breaks his connection with reality. And then it gets really, really twisted and weird and interesting. Um, again, doesn't perfectly work. That doesn't quite stick the landing either. Mm. Uh, but but some very ambitious filmmaking in it that you got to give it props for. I mean, it's, it's uh, reach exceeds its grasp, but that's okay. Mm. So, uh, yeah, the movie is Mantra. Uh, oh, let's let's do Criterion and Arrow real quickly. Okay, groovy. Yeah. Let's crack into some of that. Yeah, because there's some. Uh, this is really kind of an unusual week for for the Criterion stuff. Uh, but first, the Arrow stuff. Um, I'm so glad all this Jackie Chan stuff is coming out. I really yeah. am. It's just a ton of it. And um, got a got a a really interesting martial arts. It is not a Jackie Chan movie, but they do have some Jackie Chan stuff that's coming out. More of it coming out. But this is from uh, basically the same era. It's a Sammo Hung film. It's Knockabout. And I never imagined that this would uh, be something that would make its way to Blu-ray anytime soon. Knockabout is really an awesome movie. It's yeah. fun. But it's kind of, um, it, you know, if you're not really immersed in Sammo and the Hong Kong New Wave stuff, uh, you, you probably wouldn't have, you know, picked this one because it's kind of early. It's from 1979. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's just on the cusp of before the really great stuff happens in the Hong Kong new wave, basically in the, in the 1980s leading into obviously the, all the great stuff in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So 1979 is right about when Samo and Jackie are becoming Samo and Jackie. Right. Yeah. So this is, this is one of those, but it's got some amazing fight choreography in it. Samo is just such a master at that. And uh, it's just tons and tons and tons of fun. And he's got all the, you know, the usual guys in it, Yun Bu and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and his usual crew of, uh, of brothers. So, uh, and Lau Kar Wing did the fight choreography. If you know Lau Kar Wing, brother of Lau Kar Leung, amazing stuff. So, uh, Knockabout, really, really a lot of fun. Well worth checking out from Arrow. And the other one from Arrow is The Immortal Black Sunday. Sean Bruce Dern again. 
man, Black Sunday was such a thing when we were when we were younger, wasn't it? Oh man, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, I mean, John Frankenheimer, yeah. his height, yeah, you know, it, it, it Bob, was Evans, just, Bob Evans, Bob Evans, oh, yeah, Ernst yeah. Lehman, Ernst Lehman wrote it. I mean, it was a, the novel was a big deal. John Alonzo, you know, shot this thing. Um, John Williams music. I mean, it really, it's kind of got some amazing credentials when you look back on it and you go, wow. And then, you know, I mean, uh, it, the whole idea of a, this, this daring terrorist attack on the orange bowl, you know, I mean, kind of a little prescient, don't you think? No, man. It's just, that's really kind of, yeah. Another thing with the blimp and, 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 and all of that stuff. But, you know, uh, Frankenheimer was a little bit ahead of his time with respect to a whole lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, anyway, there's some great extras on here. Amazing extras. They've got the, uh, a, uh, a, a, a Frankenheimer kind of documentary from 2003, which has all kinds of great interviews. And it's got Frankenheimer before he passed, Kirk Douglas, Sam Jackson, Roy Scheider, Rod Steiger. I mean, it's really, it's a nice tribute to him. And then there's this uh, terrific essay by uh, Sergio Angelini, which, uh, you know, talks all about this film and how it sort of fits into the sociopolitical context of the 70s. You know, when we, of course, have like, you know, the 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 the, uh, the, the Munich killing of Israeli yeah. athletes and all the stuff that was sort of happening in the 70s, all the hijackings and Carlos the Jackal. So it really kind of puts it in its in its place. Uh, the Criterions this week, very interesting. So David Lynch's Inland Empire is out on a Blu-ray from Criterion, and it's all cleaned up and pretty. And mm. uh, the original... It wasn't that good-looking of a film in the first it place. It was not. <laughs> she gives shot video. this thing on the dirtiest uh, digital camera available, and they've really kicked it up. I mean, it looks like a whole new movie. Uh, it really does. Whole new movie. Uh, and it also includes uh, a couple of 2007 films, one of what, which, which you you're not supposed to know who made them, even though because my wife used to work for Lynch, we <laughs> know exactly who made them because I remember when they were being made. So uh, it's a little bit anticlimactic to me. Um, <laughs> it's just, I see two films from 2007: Lynch One and Lynch Two by Black and White. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I know who black and white is yeah. i know very very well uh we were almost involved with the films to be honest, yeah. to be honest. but uh, really. anyway it's it's uh it's a little funny uh i feel like i, I feel like i know something that's secret <laughs> uh anyway no inland empire i still don't think it's his best but i do think when, now that they've cleaned up the video my mm. main concern is is addressed yeah well Laura yeah, Dern yeah, is it, great. Looks, it looks more like a but at the time yeah you know just yeah, all this, yeah. Yeah, with the cow and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, for Criterion also released a 4K of Mildred Pierce, one of Joan Crawford's best performances from Michael Curtiz. Great noir, great femme fatale stuff. Really one of the all-time best uh, kind of noiry melodramas of the period from uh, 1945, mm. right there at the tail end of World War II. Uh, yeah, Mildred Pierce is just incomparable. My wife absolutely adores this. I I don't think uh, I don't think Crawford's ever been better. Yeah. And on 4K, man, this thing just kills it. Uh, there's a ton of extras, Q and As, and you know, interviews, and an episode from the Today Show with uh, James N. Kane, who of course wrote the wrote the book. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of great extras, and just a man. This movie is so creepy. It's still so creepy, and Anne yeah. Blythe just just make gives me chills. Um. Chilly Scenes of Winter by Joan Micklin Silver. I always forget this movie exists. 1979 as well. Back when Samo was making his movie, Joan Micklin Silver was uh, making her career with this. And it it was kind of a shortened career. But mm. I mean, uh, you know, 
this is actually still a really it this is not a bad movie. It's just oh yeah, it's yeah, a great movie. cast: uh, John Hurt and Mary Beth Hurt, John Hurt and Mary Beth Hurt, yeah. and Peter Regert, and uh, yeah, difficult film, but yeah, yeah. It, 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 I mean, it's, 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 it's sort of anti-sentimental, which is, um, which is interesting and a little tricky. But I mean, at the time, kind of, you know, seventy-nine is an interesting year. You're, you're kind of getting the the Spielberg Lucas stuff going, but you're also right around the same time the pocket for, uh, you know, Kramer versus Kramer, mm-hmm. and right. So you're you're still dealing with some pretty heady social issues in in a lot of these movies and i think it's a i think it's a good solid film so didn't expect this to get the criterion treatment but i'm glad it did yeah and then uh the last criterion is last hurrah for chivalry which is a john woo period film from 1979 again before john woo was john woo this is when john woo was just making you know uh period films and martial arts films and kind of uh honing his skills before he you know decides to become an auteur Mm. but uh so i i I just I'm stunned that you know a uh, that this film would wind up on Criterion. Somebody at Criterion must absolutely love this movie. I like it. I don't love it, mm. and so it I find it a totally strange and curious Criterion release. But I'm might be a sort of John Woo completist sort of thing, you know. Just all Woo must be Criterion. Could be. Out. I mean, it's just it's like it's a medieval, you know, uh, Chinese melodrama slash action film yeah, you killed you killed my father uh, a lot of sword play a lot of sword play you know a lot of sword play but it is if you're if you're a john woo completist you'll totally get into it for sure uh all right let's just hit a few tv things do some tv where are we going yeah all right uh, tv uh i'll just start off real quickly another ultraman ultraman max uh again i can't tell the difference it's 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 <laughs> you know the it's the helmet it's the helmet and the and the shape of the helmet that's I funny. I don't, I don't get it, man. I really don't get it. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the complete series. Which series? I don't know. One that has 124 episodes. It's from Nickelodeon. I can't keep track of all the different Mutant Ninja Turtles series. Man. This one ran from uh, 2012 to 2017. So it's not the first one. It's not the most recent one. It's one that somehow slots in the middle there. And uh, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere that absolutely loves this, but I'm 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 not one of them. Um, the Good Walking. Fight. The no. last season of The Good Fight. How, have you watched much of The Good Fight? Oh, sure. I, I watched quite a bit of that. Um, you know, spinoff from uh, from The Good Wife, I guess. Uh, good, the Good Doctor, The Good Wife. I don't know. Spinoff from something. <laughs> but but uh, actually, a pretty pretty strong spinoff, as it turns out. Started to kick that off back in I don't know twenty seventeen or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and um, and and it's still pretty good. You know, Christine Baranski. Uh, and all of that, you know, rather enjoyed it. But the best thing about it, Delroy Lindo. And Felicia Rashad. I, yeah. I, you know, really uh, kind of doing a, a really interesting change in what we're accustomed to. It, it, when, you, when you've done the Cosby show, you know, mm. you, you're associated with those characters in such an iconic way that it's, it's often very hard. Most of the people on that show could not really escape their association with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, she's really, I mean, she, she just takes it in a totally different direction and uh, you watch it and you just can't, you can't imagine that, you know, it's Felicia Rashad. It's great. Mm-hmm, she does mm-hmm. a really good job. And Christine Baranski can just do no wrong. She's, oh, yeah. so, she's so good. She's just so good in everything. Um, let's talk for a second. Let's do some Star Trek here. Strange New Worlds, the first season. 
Um, I, I, you know, I have not watched that much of Strange New World, but I'm told uh, 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 that folks dig it. Uh, that, uh, you know, it's like better than Picard, better than Discovery. Um, I don't know. You tell me. I'm a Star Trek guy, but that's the one where I, I haven't been. All, I know Larry, I, our guy Larry over at Film Week. Larry loves Strange New World. I had all but thrown the towel in because I thought everybody was just, you know, they're phoning it in. Like there's a new Star Trek series announced today, which is, you know, uh, base, takes place in Starfleet Academy. And I'm like, you know what? I watched Jason of Star Command back in back in the in the, the late 80s. I, I get it. I've been there. So th- that's it's that's lame. Um, and I thought, oh, Christopher Pike. Yeah, of course, you're mm-hmm. you're just literally squeezing this thing until you just take all the joy out of it. But you know what? There is something really, really compelling about this show. I, I'm I'm inclined to say it's probably the best show since Deep Space Nine. Okay, okay, okay. Because okay. because I I and, I and I don't think it's because they're trying to do well. I think it's because they chose a. I think it's because the fact that it is Christopher Pike and the pre-Kirk Enterprise era that they they sort of have to right it hems them in they've 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 walked into a room with walls walls that are defined by the original series Mm. and and where you're doing things that take place after the original series or after next generation you can sort of you know do as you want the walls aren't there you're building your own walls these walls are very defined Mm. you literally are leading into the original series and so they 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 have to be creative within those parameters. And I think it forces the writing to be stronger. I think it allows the actors to have a benchmark. And it's very interesting. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Look, we know uh, you're in the content. What's, what's it, Menagerie? Is that the name, name of that yeah, original? Yeah, Menagerie. The Menagerie. Uh, you know, so Pike and all that and what goes down and, and, and Spock taking yep. the shit back. and all. So, so there's a thing that happens. And with Discovery, they allude to those things, but they also suggest that there might might be some other I don't know perhaps multiverse or different dimension yeah. or different timeline where perhaps those things didn't happen or they happened you know what I mean and I didn't yeah. really care for that you know yeah uh, because because I'm living I'm living in history man I'm a history guy yeah and I got and I got a history here and the history is already written and if you're gonna go back you have to leave my history intact I don't want a new timeline where something else Agreed. happens and this is and this seems to be more you know yeah there. I hear you I yeah. hear you. Uh, and then uh, The Walking Dead, the complete 11th season. Man, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many? I mean, you know, I just if you're if you're sticking with this show after 11 years, uh, good on you. Well, look, 11 seasons and what three or four iterations? Yeah, right. You, you fear the Rocking Walking Dead, some some uh, some other Walking Dead, someplace else walking around dead. Uh, you know, so you know, 11, 11 seasons and several iterations. Man. Yeah, I don't know what else I can look. Look, I, I'm, look, I'm not going to kid you. I tapped out on Walking Dead, all things Walking Dead, season three. Yeah, that's kind of rent, of course. I have the feel. I have the same fear for uh, the uh, story of us. I feel like they're going to mm. get maybe three good seasons out of that, and then it's going to be awfully tough to sustain that premise. Yeah. Well, you know, three good seasons is fine. That, that, that's my thing. What's wrong with three good seasons? What's wrong exactly. with that? No, <laughs> three, three good seasons yeah. as opposed to eight seasons of which <laughs> three are good. You know, that, that's, that's, and I get it. Everybody wants to make as much money as they can. So I'm not dumb in, in yeah. that context. But sometimes I do like it when folks say, you know what? We'll make some more money someplace else. 
and uh rick and morty season six yeah. uh you know adult swim i've never gotten it from the time we started this podcast i've always said i don't really get adult swim but i i understand why people like rick and morty but yeah you know, season six does it does it deserve season six yeah have we have we earned six seasons of rick and morty hey, I, I, you, I, I look I'm, i got rick and morty and appreciated it thought it was really sharp and funny and then and, and, and i got where the little dark corner and the guy and the frustrated all uh it took uh, one season one season yeah i was good i, I was yeah. good you know but you know there you go all right and then uh lastly on the tv front uh we've got uh, from cine dime some 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 mushy gushy stuff in the uh, in the hallmark uh hallmarky lifetimey vein the first one is a Hallmark Channel original movie, Forever in My Heart. You know what? It's two, two pretty white people just being really mushy. <laughs> and uh, it, it all takes place in Ireland, which is supposed to, you know, make it like, um, I don't know, special or something. Uh, it doesn't really. Uh, it just, it, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's, oh. it's, like, it's like all the rest of those things. Sure. Um, oh, and strange. then we've got the ultimate triple feature, which is not really an ultimate triple feature. It's just a triple feature of movies in a, in a trilogy that put the word ultimate in their title <laughs> as a marketing ploy, which is the ultimate gift, the ultimate life and the ultimate legacy. Um, none of these are ultimate anything. Uh, they're, they're just, you know, they're just inspiring little movies about uh, life and family and, and finding that something that is just really, really special. Mm. And uh, I get it. You know, these people need something uplifting, especially coming out of the, the pandemic. I just wish that that uplifting was was better filmmaking oh, well, and better well. writing. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, let me see if there's anything else we should uh, mop up here before we uh, before. We, you know, let me just a uh, couple of things. Yeah. There's some performancey things here. Uh, if you're if you're a fan of Mike Birbiglia or Jim Gaffigan, there are some uh, some new DVDs out from Mill Creek of their uh, their you know stand up spotlight series. It's two comedy specials apiece. Um, and I like Mike Birbiglia. I also think he's a very talented filmmaker, mm -hmm. although he's a little obscure. Uh, and Jim Gaffigan, I you know everybody loves Jim Gaffigan. That guy he just cracks everybody up so anyway uh you got a couple of uh, stand-up spotlight titles here two specials a piece and uh then you also have this i've been trying for weeks i've been wanting to talk about this uh wendy o williams live and um blanking loud from london <laughs> not gonna curse uh you know when wendy o williams it probably means nothing to most people listening to this show but tim and i uh oh yeah we we there, you know what I mean. Speaking of the Omlouds, as a Motorhead shows up on this too. Mm. Uh, Wendy o. Williams was the lead singer of the Plasmatics. Oh man, and, and Wendy was intense, uh, and, um, yeah, and that music was hard. And Wendy wore some uh, interesting, nothing sort of outfits. But Wendy showed up in some interesting places too in cinema. Uh, Reform School Girls, and and, uh, yeah. and and the Legend of Billie Jean. She was walking around. Billie Jean and died way too young. Actually, Wendy lost Wendy. I don't know what in in the late uh, 
I don't know, late nineties or something like that. But Wendy, Wendy was a hell of a thing. Wendy is in one episode of the old MacGyver, the, you know, the MacGyver. Oh, is she? Oh yeah. She played big mama. Uh, I didn't know that way, way, way back in. in, in, And so, you know, she showed up in the oddest places, but she was always Wendy O. Williams. Yeah. (laughs) Once she showed up. Yeah. She was famous. She was famous for at one point. I, I think it was, didn't she, take a chainsaw and cut a car in half on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I know people will think, like, what does that have to do with music? Nothing. Wendy did a great many things on stage that didn't have anything to do with That's music. <laughs> very true. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, some of the songs here from this uh, concert that was recorded in uh, at, at Camden Palace in London on October 1st, 1985. Uh, some of the songs uh, that I, the titles of which that I can actually share on the on the on the show. Uh, let's see, Jailbait, yeah. Ain't None of Your Business, Bump and Grind, uh, Pedal to the Metal, and then some of the others. I, I I'm just not gonna. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm too nice and I'm too classy and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. Uh, let's see, and then um, uh, live from the Royal Festival Hall is the 50th anniversary tour of the Tubular Bells, which, as long as we mentioned um, The Exorcist 3 earlier, you know, Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells were made, that that performance was made famous uh, on, with The Exorcist. And uh, so this is from just last year, a uh, the 50th anniversary Ooh. tour uh, performed at the Royal Festival Hall. And um, it has a really interesting interview with Mike Oldfield and Richard Branson on here. Mm. Or not. Mm. But yeah, this is a, this is a two-disc set. And, uh, you know, they, I mean, it's not everybody's kind of music. It's still very 70s and kind of new agey. But it's haunting and cool. And it's nice to kind of uh, revisit all that. Interesting. Yeah. So that is that. All right. And with that, we are done. Um, and uh, we have spring break, so we're uh, we're, we're going to be gone for a couple of weeks at least. But uh, we'll be back in about three weeks. You doing anything? Uh, you don't have a spring break. I well, actually, spring break at, at the university where I oh, teach. Oh, that's was, right. You do. Was, yeah. was, was, was kind of early, so, so so I broke for spring for that. No, no, uh, nothing, nothing right now. I'm gonna gonna go see my mom a little bit later. I know you get you you you, you and the ladies are getting ready to take a trip. Yep. Uh, uh, so it should be great. Awesome. All right, everybody, have a great time. Let's hope the spring comes to all of you and that we get lots of flowers and uh, and no more rain and snow because the country's <laughs> had enough of that. All oh, right, man. have a great time. See you guys next time. 